This is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And this is Deborah Cortez. <laughs> this is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay. Uh, we are sponsored, as always, by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. Many of you may remember our guest host, Deborah Cortez, formerly Deborah Murphy. Uh, yep. That was uh, back in episode 90, 98, mm-hmm. which was, I believe, in 2017. You were doing Olivia's Kitchen yep. with Revolution Theater. I think it was Revolution. Generation. Genera- I'm sorry, Generation <laughs> Theater <laughs> with David Valere. And yep. now you're back, and you have a special guest, um, Virginia Blanco. How are you, Virginia? Hi, Rich. Nice to, nice to be here. I'm good. Very good. Happy to be here. Thank you so much on a wonderful Monday afternoon. Uh, it's a beautiful day. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, La Lenga Teatro. La Lenga? Lengua. Lengua. Lengua Teatro in Espanol. <laughs> and the play Azurdui. Azurdui. Azurdui? Las Azurdui. Azurdui. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Las a plur- female plural. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, Azurdui is the last name. Mm-hmm. But this is um, like. Like the Simpsons, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand, <laughs> but all female, <laughs> right? Exactly, and uh, the uh, and it's of course it's about the uh, the female progressive and uh, the revolutionary hero, Juana Azurdui mm-hmm. de Padilla, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. who led revolutions for the freedom of Bolivia, Argentina, Peru, and you were saying also Uruguay, mm-hmm. Uruguay, and Paraguay, and yeah. Paraguay. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, before I begin, uh, how is everybody doing? Um, um, Deborah, how are you doing? We were talking about the uh, the the death of your son, and you know it's been a year, but you were very very open and, and talking about it online, and I think uh, everyone can sort of relate to it if you're a parent. I mean, it's something that you you don't want to. It's, it sounds like you're handling things well. I'm trying. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. I'm I'm happy to be back, Rich. You know, it's it's a beautiful day today. I'm doing good today. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's a cool thing about the theater community. You know, you can sort of bond. You have sort of your family there, mm-hmm. and it's a way of sort of getting you know um, things out of your system in a constructive way. So mm-hmm. it's good to have the theater community there. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, we can talk about how the two of you, I mean, we're going to get into current events or whatever. We're not going to get into an order story for you, Deborah, because we know mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, your, your amazing story, how you've come here and, um, and all of that stuff. But how did the two of you, how did, uh, la, how did la, la Lengua Teatro come together? Um, well, it took, um, uh... A few years since mm-hmm. um, I I thought about Sorry. having the chance to make a theater in Spanish, mm-hmm. and I, I I've been talking with a lot of Latinx and other Spanish speaking artists that were willing to mm-hmm. to do it, but yeah. it, I'm just going to touch your mic oh. a little bit. There you go. Oh, thank you. But it, the truth is a lot of work, especially for an immigrant, non non English immigrant, a speaker immigrant. Um, so I decided to start like immersing myself in the, in the theater area community, mm-hmm. and I started working. and And at some point, I was like, okay, I think it's a, about time to start doing this, and I actively starting taking steps. Uh, one of those words. <laughs> Deciding a name and um, 
um, opening the social media accounts. Yeah, yeah. So there was something already. So every person I was invited to be a part of, they knew there was something. Mm -hmm. And it's true when they say, <laughs> if it that didn't happen, if it's not happening on social media, it doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's true. <laughs> yeah, that's both a good thing and a bad thing. It has to, you know. I, I remember uh, not being on Facebook for a while, and my sister wrote me saying, hey, are you okay? Yeah. You're not dead, are you? And I'm like, what? I've got to, you know, just because I'm not on social media, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, that's, that's an awesome, and we'll learn more about the origin story. Um, there have been some current events, and a lot, there's some of it that deals with the women. Um, a lot of it has to deal with this, this the, the role uh, debate. Um, a Michigan, it happened this week, a Michigan GOP nominee uh, who's running for governor made a statement, excuse me, says giving birth after rape is healing for a 14-year-old. So a 14-year-old uh, apparently was raped. And of course, the Republicans are uh, totally against uh, abortion or even women to have a choice of having an abortion or not. Even in such an extreme circumstance, they're making these ridiculous statements. And I just think it's just absolutely awful. Also in Florida, a judge says that a 16-year-old is not mature enough to get an abortion. So when Roe fell, this is a thing that I'll ask both of you ladies. I mean, how did you feel uh, for something, uh, something that's been going, that we've upheld for 50 years, the right for a woman to choose, not necessarily to like a woman is actually going to have an abortion, but she can choose whether she wants to or not. And all of a sudden that, that is taken away. How did it hit the both of you? If you're comfortable talking about that. I can start. Um, I, I mean, I woke up that day and, you know, hearing the news, I, I was very sad, very, yeah. very sad. I was also reading the writing on the wall. I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. And yeah. I think there was something that was leaked that pointed it out that that right, was exactly. going to happen. There was, there was a intern or some, a clerk that worked yeah. for one of the justices. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, I, I was really sad, um, angry, of course. Yeah. Uh, instead of moving forward, we're just regressing, right? I mean, what's next? The right to vote? What else? Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have friends who are uh, gay and lesbian, and, you know, they're worried about those rights as well. So... I just feel that ever since Trump, ha you know, took over, of course, he's not around anymore, but I mean, he, I mean, he's not the president anymore, mm -hmm. but it's awakened the far right mm -hmm. who believe they can just, you know, dominate and sort of take over, uh, you know, people's rights. Virginia, I'll ask you this question. I, I, I don't know how long you've been here in the country. We'll, we'll talk about, you know, your origin story, but did it surprise you, I guess, this emergence of the far right? Um, um no, but I was... So surprised is so many common um, topics were happening almost at the same time things very similar in my country when I came here yeah this thing called uh, in Argentina was the gap oh. because like the, the there was always a, a, a mid uh, yeah. mid-left, mid-right, and you're, they you're were like... You're talking about class, like upper class, lower class? No, uh, like the left and the right Oh, Oh, yes, yes, political gaps, yes. Yes, exactly. So the, it started a polarization that I'm this hating in between the extremes. Mm, yeah. Um, and when I came here, and first I couldn't believe it when Trump won the elections. I was yeah. like, I was so calm because I thought this person can't be the U.S. president. And right. I remember... <laughs> 
I was I was um, using some like hot tool in my hair. Yeah, yeah. And I burned burned it when I like a curler. I, exactly because yeah. I, I was I was preparing my hair for a show, and I I burned my hair when I heard that he he won. I was like. What I was like changing all the radios and to confirm that it was right. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. Our last guest is a guy named Alan Manalo. He is one of the founders of Bindlesif Studios, a Philippine company. And he talked about how there is extremism in other countries, like now in the Philippines, the son of Ferdinand Marcos is back in power, is in power, which is crazy because, you know, the Marcos administration they killed a lot of individuals. It reminds me so much of what happened in Argentina. The uh, I believe the Peron is it the Peron family. Uh, yes, but back like in the the eighties. Mm-hmm. No, uh, no. Uh, you mean like the original per- Peronist government? Yeah, or maybe maybe I'm getting the name wrong. I thought it was. Um, I thought isn't that what Evita is all about? Isn't that Argentina? Yeah, Evita was uh, the the wife. Uh, yes, Peron's wife. Juan Peron, yeah. Mm-hmm. But wasn't there, um, like, I don't know, like just extremism in Argentina during that time? Uh, well, Peron, uh, we, we study Peronism in the university because yeah. it's a very complex, very complex case because he managed to mix the right and the left. Oh, interesting. Uh, so that's why there was so many people that loved him mm-hmm. and so many people that hate him, hated him, especially mm. rich people. Yeah. Uh, popular people, um, you talk, I remember a lot of the parents of my friends in school. Yeah. They had like the picture of Evita in their houses because wow. they, be, thanks to her. Yeah. Their, their working class families had, for the very first time, paid vacations. Um, they had the very first doll or bicycle. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking about Pinochet. That could be it. But there was also, too, in Argentina in the 70s where people were disappearing. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. there is a movement to, uh, they're known by Los Desaparecidos. Yeah. And there is a group of mothers also in Buenos Aires that, you know, a lot of the children were, are gone and never, nobody's nothing, and, right? And do people think that it was a government sponsored thing? It was thing? pretty much the government. That is my understanding. Yeah. What, yeah. Actually, what happened was uh, there was, uh, was uh, Peron was in power and and then his second wife Isabel Perón was in power yeah. because she was like <laughs> being the president and then the the military took over oh, i see in 1976 yeah and uh and this what you Deborah were talking about is any person that not was only opposed to the this uh, dictatorship yeah. but people that they thought could be uh, in the opposition, yeah, they disappeared, and that's an, an euphemism. As the same when they say the um, dirty war, those are euphemisms because a war is in between two parts, and this was not a war. This was the government taking the 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 the, the power they had over their people to kill them. Mm-hmm. They were not disappeared. Yeah. They were killed people. And o- only because we don't know they, where did, they did not agree with what the government was doing. Yes, and, and that's why 
that's why duty war is not uh, a, um, a correct term because there was a um, complicity from the the from the people I too. See. Uh, everyone knew that you there, there was a neighbor being taken taken wow. away yeah and people because of the fear we were silent and sometimes this the same neighbors were saying yeah. I think the next person next door they're having some weird meetings they may be like oh no yeah awful it reminds me so much of Nazi Germany that you would read about I mean I was just reading about Anne Frank and people are still wondering who was it that rat ratted out the Frank family and when you hear about you know governments you know sort of taking over the military taking over i mean you know hitler if it were just hitler himself it wouldn't be a big deal but the people who followed him who surrounded him who appeased him who helped that you know they are complicit as well mm -hmm. and it sounds like that happened here as well you, you couldn't do theater yeah it was forbidden <laughs> yeah no i i totally understand it's it's amazing and you would think in america well nothing like that would happen but we're getting a little bit of that right now, mm -hmm. which is why stories like this is so important. Yeah. And something that I want to circle back to Evita, something that I recently learned about yeah. her based on a... I love documentaries. Yeah. And there is a show on Hulu um, about Evita. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that her body was taken by the government and for 20 years... It, it, it was like ended up in Spain because Perón was exiled to Spain. Hmm. Um, but the government took it. They wouldn't even let the mother of Evita recover oh, her body horrible. and give her proper burial. Yeah. It's like, and that is because like Virginia was, was saying, per, the Perones were hated and were loved. Yeah. And especially Evita because she rebelled against the government. She did so many things for the working class. Yeah that the government was not happy. And this whole thing about her body yeah. going like at some point, yeah. they, it ended up in Italy. Hmm. Um, and that's just to show you, you know, kind of like tying it together with Asurdui. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nobody ever knew about her. We don't know her face. Mm -hmm. um, I'll let Virginia tell more later when we get into the play. Sure. But then you have Evita. Right. This happened like in the 1800s, so no records, right? But You're right. when Evita was alive, you had TV and she was a, a, an actress. Yes. So we know her face. We know her story. Mm -hmm. But even after she died, because she was such a powerful figure, yeah. that the government was threatened by her body by her dead body yeah it's it's amazing it's amazing how there's a thing called the narrative that's a sort of a buzzword especially when it comes to politics everyone wants to control the narrative and if you have someone i mean when i hear you talk about um evita it's almost like princess diana you know princess diana was beloved you know by the world but england did not want to because diana talked about the poor she talked about how england was still you know, a monarchy for so many other territories um, where, you know, countries want their independence. So I could see, I could definitely see the parallels. And you're absolutely right. Azuduri, you know, that's a story that needs to be told. You know, powerful women who, who is powerful enough to speak against the government. There's one other thing before you jump into an origin story. And it saddens me. I just heard this. this it was a rumor last week. But I was on stage uh, two days ago and, no, uh, yesterday. The Exit Theater 
is oh, disappearing. Yeah, yeah. And I have so many memories. I'm looking at a couple of posters right now that I've done at the exit. So many fringe festivals. Um, I was a part of a company called Easton's Repertory Company. We've rented out the exit many, many times. And it's just one of those things where a landlord wants so much money and, you know, uh, a company is driven out. And it's it's just really, really sad. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked in the exit before. I have. You have? Yeah. I yeah. Have. yeah. So, uh, you know, there's the exit. Douglas Morrison Theater is gone. Um, the um, The flight deck is yeah. gone and being taken over by uh, another company. Piano Fight. Pian- well, yeah, that's right. It's taken over by Piano Fight. But the flight deck, the company, is gone. Mm. Um, so I-, I wonder about theater. You know, I know that COVID-19 has taken a big hit on a lot of companies. And um, I just don't know. Off-Broadway West, that's another company that's gone as well. So um, I'm really hoping for the best. And, of course, your company, I hope that it, it really, really thrives. Because it's tough getting people to come into theater. When there's COVID-19 and there are all these distractions like, you know, streaming services, movie theaters are having a hard time. UA Regal Theater has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And now a lot of independent movie theater companies are gone, especially in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Like the California um, Shattuck Theater is gone. I think there's another one. I can't remember the name. I think there are three downtown. Yeah, 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 exactly. So... And I love independent theater. I love going to independent movie theaters, you know, see the independent shows. And I'm like, where am I going to go now? <laughs> Even in San Francisco, the Embarcadero's gone. So, mm, yeah. so there's that. Um, and I try to squeeze in a funny thing. So a funny thing. So there was a million. I, this happened. So two weeks ago, there was a pastor who was into uh, prosperity religion. And I don't know if you know what that is. The, these are these pastors who talk about, well, you know, God wants you to make money and uh, look yeah. at how much money I've got and all that sort of stuff. I try to stay away from all that. But in any case, he had his, and he tells, he has a sermon where he has his jewelry on. In the middle of the sermon, a guy comes in with a gun and robs him and steals his money. This happened two weeks ago. So <laughs> you guys didn't hear about that. No, I'm no. looking at your eyes. So in any case, yeah. And um, so D.L. Hewley, who is a black comedian, made fun of him. It's like saying, hey, you can't be preaching with your jewelry on and all that stuff. And now the, and this is the new news. The pastor is challenging to box him. For, and he wants to, I don't know, make a thousand or two a hundred thousand dollars off the prize money or whatever. And it's just it's just ridiculous. I mean, as a Christian, I'm offended that someone would even, you know, consider you know, money, you know, if Jesus were to walk alive now, he would be like, you know, that's an absolute sin. You preaching with your gold chain on. And now it becomes hilarity. He wants to fight a comedian. Give me a break. So in any case, wow. <laughs> crazy, crazy times. Mm-hmm. With that, let's get into an origin story. Virginia Blanco, uh, how did you get involved in theater? How, where were you born and raised? And how did you come to America? You can start wherever you want to start. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was born in theater. My father is theater maker. I'm from Argentina. Right on. Um, I'm from a small town town called General Madariaga okay. in the Buenos Aires province of Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I I grew up there until I was um, my 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 first childhood childhood. Then my father had to drop out theater because of all this we are talking about right now what is on the newspapers yeah uh sometimes you have to being a theater maker is not profitable yeah (laughs) and you have to choose in between raising a family or or continue with the art that's one of the saddest Mm -hmm. decisions sometimes an artist has to make um 
So my father stopped doing theater for a while, and I wasn't interested in, in theater. I was a kid. I was, yeah. but then I was doing ballet and oh nice yeah mostly dance. Um, are siblings? Yes, I have uh, three younger brothers. Okay, so you're the oldest. Yes, Very and nice. the only the only woman. The only girl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, in in my teens, I by curiosity, I I I went to after an invitation in my high school to be a part of a new theater company for for young people, mm -hmm. and I auditioned. I I started doing theater. I I perform, and I did a lot of things back then, like. Painting the set. Uh, I was um, oh, right director, on. yeah, choreographer. You were on stage <laughs> and off stage. That's awesome. Yes, that was a whole experience. But then I decided to leave because uh, there were th I was, I was discovering who I was, mm -hmm. and it was I saw things that I was not agreeing with, and I was confused. I didn't know if I didn't want to keep doing theater or I didn't or I didn't want to be in that company mm -hmm. and then I thought no I want to to keep making theater so mm -hmm. I discovered that half of the company had left also oh interesting because similar reasons so we did we said okay meaning let's leaving keep doing. the country Is that no right? leaving the, com the theater company, oh, the theater company. Mm -hmm. Got it. we were all like in between like 15 and 18 years old okay yeah, yeah. and um so we created a new theater company and then i invited my father i told him hey we are thinking about make creating this theater company would you like to direct or be a part sure so <laughs> we created oh, uh, that's awesome yeah uh, dracma uh dracma uh, grupo teatral okay. in, in Madariaga. and so Yeah, and I I stayed a, f a few years, and then I had to move to Buenos Aires to start university, and then I decided again. Uh, I don't think I can I can make a living from theater. I don't know if actually I, I'm that good to to make it. I was thinking like devoting my life to theater. Yeah, and I had the pressure of being the oldest of four kids and a um, working class family, sure. and having to go to university and being like quote-unquote serious professional nobody pressured me my father actually told me are you sure you don't want to be an actress and I was like yes yes dad I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah so I tried to suppress that uh, like called for theater mm -hmm. for a year so I mean like back and forth with theater for a long time Interesting. Now you mentioned your dad. What about your mom? Is was she involved? Yeah. No, my mom. Uh, she um, has a, a background in health. She she she's from Peru. Okay. When she met my father, my father is Argentinian. He yeah. was visiting Peru, and then got married in Peru, and they moved to Argentina. And she was uh, a nurse back then, and she was uh, then. Uh, now she she is like um, she had a. Um, Uh, a master and everything and, well, and very nice yeah she was in charge of the of the um, nurse department in in my town so okay. yeah but nothing related to theater but she still supported you like did she encourage you or was she more like you need to be more academic so you can make money and all that stuff yeah uh, yeah my mother was more more like that because she was raised like with that yeah more mentality. practical yeah yeah We have a similar thing. My dad, I'm looking at my picture of my dad right there. Mm -hmm. He's always into music. He um, And we were a very musically motivated family. 
my mom was more practical. She was like, you know, you need to yeah. <laughs> find a way to, you know, raise money, whatever. I was going to bring you in, Deborah. Yeah. Is your, your background is similar as far as getting involved young? And, you know, you talk about um, sort of finding yourself through theater when you were young. You went, went through something similar, didn't you? Sort of. Yeah. Uh, my, my family comes from the circus. That's right. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. So it's a little bit like my dad was like, nope, you're not going to have that lifestyle. <laughs> and my mom is the typical, you know, wife. I'm not going to go against your dad, but I support you. But I can't say it in front of your dad. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, but I was always a, a rebel. I'm the younger one. Like, Virginia and I are like, I don't know, we're, we're sisters. Like, it's incredible. Like, it, she was, we're both born in Argentina. Yeah. But I grew up in Peru. <laughs> My dad's Peruvian. Her mom's Peruvian. My mom's Argentinian. Her dad's Argentinian. Wow. She's the oldest of four. <laughs> I'm the youngest of four. She's got three brothers. I have one brother. We're three girls. It's like, uh -huh. it's, it's crazy. Um, she was encouraged by her dad. My dad was like, you're not going to do these. Yeah. And same story, like you, you need to make a career, you need to make money, you know, uh, mm -hmm. but I was like, you're not going to tell me what to do. If you're not going to help me, fine, I'll go get myself a job and I'll pay for my own, you yeah. know, schooling and everything. Um, but I moved here when I was 19. I, I was going through, I was going to go through an MFA program in Lima, mm -hmm. but how things go in, in Lima, you have to go through I, I don't know a good word other than academy, right? For six months where they prepare you for the entry exam. And then you have your four years of the MFA. Mm -hmm. So I went through all of that. I talked to the dean. I'm just using American uh, sure, lingo the, here yeah, because yeah. I don't know what the the equal is um, and I was like I don't have the money but I really want these and he was like well you know we can give you a half scholarship and if you pass with flying colors we'll see what we can do to give you a full scholarship mm -hmm. I worked my butt off I made it but then the opportunity to come here showed up and then everyone was like you have to go you have to go and I was like but I don't yeah. want to and then everyone's like you have to go you, you can be the one that can you know help us and everything yeah what sold it to me if i'm saying it correctly mm -hmm. my brother said to me you can always come back if you're not happy yep but i never did <laughs> yeah and you came alone right there was yep. no one here yeah 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 it's the same for you virginia i don't know when did you come here to the states um in september will be 10 years wow. um mm -hmm. but i I was not planning to come here like Deborah was not in my plans. Actually, uh, back then I was married in Argentina and we were planning to go to uh, Europe mm -hmm. because we were like, okay, we don't have kids. So let's try living somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And um, a job opportunity showed up uh, here in Silicon Valley. So we decided to move. And for me, it was like a culture shock because I was not planning at all. But I, I accepted the adventure to, mm -hmm. to, to be here. But I didn't know how to drive. And I was in the middle of the suburbs in Santa Clara. Mm. <laughs> it was so hard yeah. going outside. I not there was not a single soul in the streets where all cars and highways and are there any latinos where you where you were staying where you guys were staying i don't i didn't meet any persons there interesting it's like like nobody in the street hmm. and uh the only people i saw was when i w went to get my groceries at safeway 
Mm. <laughs> and yeah. the only thing I could say was uh, when they asked me if I found everything okay, and I was yes, how is your day? Great. Thank you for everything and goodbye. That was wow. my conversation wow. for a long time. What a shame. Yeah, I took the time, though, to keep uh, studying, and I, w I used to work as a journalist in Argentina. Oh, okay. That was, I, I studied about in the university. Yeah. And, uh, but I had to drop my job when I came here because of difficulties to, to be paid from there, and, and my visa didn't allow me to work. No. So I took the time to, one, first to drive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to learn to, how to drive and then to um, build my uh, perfumery brand mm -hmm. and studying perfumery. So okay. I was a student and a couple of years after that, I managed to, to start taking classes in Studio ICT. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you didn't, you didn't give up the, because, you know, there are a lot of folks who get involved in theater and then they're like, okay, well, life is taking over. So let me just push those aside. But you were still, you still had that, the theater bug, I call it. Actually, it was right, not, not right, but it, a few months before coming here, mm -hmm. I was flirting with the idea of doing something. I always wanted to do something you were talking right before starting the podcast voiceover mm. i always loved actually with my brothers yeah. if you see us on like a dinner time or something and we tell stories and we have to impersonate and make voices <laughs> because if we don't do that it's like the story is not complete no that's fun yeah so i was thinking about like i, I would like to do this professionally and now that I'm I'm done with with my with the university probably and then I had to come here and those dreams were back there but then I realized I actually want to I realized I no, I don't I didn't only realize I I accepted that I was always thinking in a theatrical way uh like oh this person could be a character. I, right. I, and I, oh, oh, this song could be part of a, if we had this situation on a stage. But I was doing that internally all the time, and mm. I was not recognizing that that was me wanting to, to make theater Yeah, again. no, I totally understand. <laughs> now, how did you get, are you, because you're not in Silicon Valley anymore. You're here in the mm -hmm. Bay, right? Yeah. So how did that happen? Uh, well, actually, it was a decision because I I noticed that if I wanted to, to start uh, studying theater and making audition and doing auditions and everything, I had to move to San Francisco. So uh, I started moving from Santa Clara then to, to Mountain View and then from Mountain View to Burlingame. Mm -hmm. When I was living in Burlingame, I started going to ACT to mm -hmm. take uh, mm -hmm. my first class in a studio at the studio ACT was speech and diction. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go directly to acting classes i wanted to start with something like the shores and then i had to to make a, a trip to france to the uh, world uh, world perfumery congress and okay. then i came back and i was like okay i'm going to start taking acting classes in english i don't know how that's going to be because i never performed in english um, yeah yeah so from scratch to scratch, I started acting one, mm -hmm. uh, and then I kept going until, like, for a few years, I mean, studying there. That is excellent. I mean, that is a great story. I mean, you know, as English-speaking, especially English-speaking theater, we, 
we take it for granted. We really do take it for granted. And uh, a good friend of mine, Scott Munson, says, you know, we, as westernized um, theater goers and theater viewers, and we we don't pay attention to other cultures. And coming from another culture, getting into theater, even, you know, English theater, you will look at it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Does your husband support what you're doing? Yes. Very good. Now my ex-husband. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he always supported supported my decision. Yeah. But he met a different person because he didn't m- sure. meet me as an actress. So, wow, I didn't know that you could act, that you could, you could do this and that. Yeah. Uh, so it was a happy discovery for him back then to know that I could go on a stage and do yeah. something. But it's, uh, yeah, it, it can be bittersweet. I mean, I've mm-hmm. gone through that as well. I've had a, a bunch of girlfriends who are like, I don't understand why you're doing this. You're not making a lot of money. And when I think of theater, I think of, you know, like Broadway or you got to be on TV. And that's got to be the main goal instead of expression. And, and you had to go through something similar, Deborah. Very similar. Yeah, yeah very similar. Like you and my ex-husband too. I never um, wanted to step on the third rail. I just, you know, I yeah. cautioned it, but you know. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's really hard when you marry when you marry someone who's not in the industry, right? They don't understand it, why you have to be away from home so many nights, why do you have to rehearse so many hours and Especially all of that. Weekends. Weekends yeah. and all of that. Um and and again, when I moved here, I became a mom pretty soon, so I I you know, not that I had to be a mom, I wanted to, of sure. course. Sure. But that became my priority. Yeah. And when my son became older, when mm-hmm. he was 14, I was like, okay, four more years, he's going to be out there doing his own thing. I need to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a, a, I was part of a car accident. So it, it happened in front of my car and the tire blew and hit my windshield. And I thought the car was on top of my car. But it's one of those events where it makes you think about what the hell am I doing with my life? Sure. I was working in retail, killing myself for somebody else, and I was miserable. I would come home crying almost every day wow. and drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was like, no, I I need to put myself first now. You know, like yeah. I said, my son was growing up. He was going to go do his own thing. Now it's time for Deborah. Yeah. So that's when I resumed theater and all of that. And, you know, um, we went separate ways because that's life yeah 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 there's a good friend of mine Priya Gayadeen who um, although her name is Middle Eastern she actually grew up in Guyana uh, and had a career in Brazil and came to America and realized with a son and raising a son on her own you know I've got to I've got to be my own thing and it was important for her to have her son see her as an independent woman uh, as well as a mom, so I can understand how important that is to sort of claim yourself. Excuse me, because you, you make all sorts of sacrifices for other people, and you're like, "Hey, I want to focus on myself." Yeah. So, and I think that's a good transition into um, Wana Azudui because she was someone who society wanted to put into a box. Okay, you're a young woman in 1810. You're going to do this. And she says, you know what? I see things that this country needs, and I'm going to push away. So maybe we can talk now about uh, this one, fantastic woman, uh, Wana Azudui. Yes. Yeah. And this is also connected with uh, what you, Deborah, were, were talking before uh, um, about Evita. 
and um, and also it's related to the question you were asking about how is in Argentina. Mm -hmm. um, we had already an elected woman president in Argentina, mm -hmm. and I'm seeing even. 21st century, the same pattern that um, not only the, the classism, the machismo, and the racism. Um, in the case of Evita and uh, Cristina Fernandez, who, who was um, the president in Argentina, they were white women, mm. but they were women and they were mistreated because they, they were women yeah. and in the case of Evita she was she came from a working class um, family yeah so the the rich people that was managing the, the economy of the country back then it was like during the second uh, world war world war yeah yeah um, they hated her because she was like a poor woman taking, having all this attention and power over, over the people, right? Yeah. And with Juan Arzurdui, uh, one of the things that um, we see in, in, in her case is all that, but also, uh, though she, she came from a, um, a very well-positioned family, mm -hmm. like yeah. a, a, um, financially, but she was a mixed-race woman. So she was a woman in in nineteenth century, and also she was not totally white. And sometimes we forget that the word mestiza, which means mixed race, yeah, um, is still like a term used as you're pointing there. <laughs> right. The Spanish people created this uh, system of caste, yeah, and that's you were exactly right. tagged. They hardly hold. Actually, I I found it. It is here in the museum of Auckland, Auckland Museum. Yeah, you have all the section about the colonization, and yes. they talk about. I didn't know there were words. I didn't words. I didn't know like I knew mulato. I knew sambo. I knew mestizo. Yeah, but if you were like the son of, of like a Spanish and uh, an indigenous person, you were mestizo. But if you were the son of, of the, or the daughter of an Spanish and a chola or mestizo, you had a different name mm -hmm. and you were tagged with that name and you couldn't be another thing different than that tag. So yeah. And it's, it's very oppressive. <laughs> it's a crazy because as a black person, you know, we deal with this all the time. Let's say, you know, a black person who could pass as white, you know, uh, and, you know, you go through life. Oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm living it a little bit better. And then you, you, these, these classifications created by other people sometimes pit us against each other. Mm -hmm. You know, light-skinned black against dark-skinned black. So let's say in the Latino community, let's say uh, Afro-Cuban versus someone who is white or who can pass or something like that or let's say a dominican versus argentinian or something like that or let's say a japanese against Co korean or something like that and it's like we're fighting against each other but we're not the ones who created this 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 system mm -hmm. and you were mm -hmm. pointing about you know uh wana azadui she could have just said hey i'm living good I could just coast. I can just live the way that I want to live. And she had a very supporting father who sort of encouraged her to, I mean, although I think she was an only uh, child. I'm, I'm, no? 
no, she had I, I, one I, brother, right? Blas and Rosalia. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But yeah. I think I think she may be the oldest. Yes, she was in between Blas. There was he, he died. At, yeah, two, that's two right. Old. Older brother Blas, who mm-hmm. died in infancy, and a younger sister Rosalia. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like the father sort of raised her as if not not like a boy, but you know, sort of. Hey, you know, just because you're a girl, I'm still going to teach you how to sword fight. You you can say he raised her as a boy. Okay. He, he the whole thing is both of them uh, parents. Her mm-hmm. parents wanted a boy. Yeah. And when their for- first born was a boy, died. And they, you know, were expecting Juana. They thought they were going to have a boy. So they were, even the mom, a little bit disappointed. Mm. And the father was, well, if I'm not getting my actual boy, I'm going to get my boy through my daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So he raised her like a boy. Wow, yeah. And as I'm reading here, I'm looking at Wikipedia. Uh, She was was born in uh, Upper Peru, which is a territory in the Spanish Vice Royalty of the Rio de la Plata. Today, that's Bolivia. Bolivia, mm-hmm. yeah. And Simon de Bolivar, I was reading in 1825, uh, gave her her pension, which mm-hmm. something he did not have to do, right. and really wanted to uplift her name. It actually yep. had a wonderful quote, uh, basically saying that Bolivia should not have been named after me. It should have been named after, after you yep. because mm-hmm. of what you did. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that later um, it was taken administrations away. Take it, took it away from her, and she. I think she died poor. Yep. She yeah. died destitute. In 1862. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really, really sad. Let me ask you this. Why did you, how did, was Juana Azadui, was that um, a sort of history that you had to learn in adulthood or something that you learned as a child? Or how did, how did this story come into your vision? Because of uh, that statue that is there in Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, I was here already in the U.S. when this happened. Uh, when I left Argentina, I u- when I used to go from Buenos Aires to Madariaga to visit my family, I had to go with the bus around the, the pink house. We don't have white house. We have pink house uh-huh. uh, where the president is. And at the back, they, they used to have a huge statue of Columbus looking through the um, Rio de la Plata mm-hmm. um, in direction to his motherland, Europe. Oh. And this president, Cristina Kirchner, decided uh, to replace that statue with one of Juana Zurduy. And mm-hmm. who the heck was Juana Zurduy? And people were so upset, especially because it was an... Interesting. In, yeah, yeah. was it joined with an indigenous... Um, president from Bolivia, Evo Morales, they both put this statue of her. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is that because she was a woman and a mestiza, no one cared about having a, a portrait, keeping a portrait of her. Yeah. Uh, no one cared <laughs> on having a, like a portrait. Or, so that is an, um, an a, assumption. A fiction, yeah, yeah, a fictional a face of of her. So I read all the news, and it was I knew that I know that there is racism. I I, I lived in, in in flesh racism yeah. in my country. Yeah. And but still, I was surprised why people were so upset. Instead of saying, "Oh wow, we didn't know about this woman. We own our independence to this woman," and they were upset because they were like, "No." 
actually we are what we are, what we were talking about, yeah. because of Columbus and colonization. Yeah, which is absolutely amazing. Well, I, I guess not so. I mean, it's you would think, well, of course you're going to take down a statue of an individual who is not even from a who is from a Europe, who's not even from South America, who oppressed. I mean, you know, Columbus. If you really read read into it, you know, he oppressed and killed and made slaves so many individuals. And now, even in America, we're waking up saying, hey, you know, we're not going to celebrate Columbus Day. We're going to celebrate Indigenous Holiday. But there's still people who still have that old mindset. Who are these liberals who are telling me to, you know, we've always did Columbus Day, so we're always going to do that. So I imagine that's the same in in Argentina. Just, you know, forget about the fact that uh, Juana Azadui was actually born in Argentina and helped make you know, Argentina independent. So I'm so glad that I'm looking, we're looking at a, a picture of Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner and Evo Morales mm-hmm. um, inaugurating the statue of uh, Juana Azadui. And this happened in 2015, July 2015. Yes, until then, I only knew about a, a folk song that some um, famous um, music composer in Argentina uh, made for her. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there is a street in Argentina called Juana Zordui. But mm-hmm. f- for me, it was like just a street name. Yeah. And and then I realized why I don't know more about this woman. She was like any like f- foundation, f- funding, funding father. Yeah. Uh, she's a funding mother. Why? I don't know. And they, I, I, I learned that she fought the... The Battle of Ayouma mm-hmm. uh, that was crucial for for taking away the 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 Spaniards back then and fighting 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 back the colonization. And I remember studying about the Ayouma battle in in school, but no one mentioned even mentioned her. Uh, actually, all the the, the things that um, history books say about women women back then is like women like. The role of women was like suing the flags for the heroes, yeah, yeah. or having <clears throat> parties to so then so they yeah, can talk about like the a Spanish p- Betsy Ross, or you know <laughs> what we have in America. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when I was reading, I mean, I'm reading right here, 1888, the Spanish temporary took over. Uh, so basically, she pushed out the Spanish mm-hmm. out of um, looks like northern Argentina. She mm-hmm. had this. She had. She was uh, controlling six thousand men. At the time, uh, and let's, uh, she was fighting under the command of the Argentine general Martin Miguel de Guemes, I believe. Guemes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was appointed to the position of commander of the Northern Army of the Revolutionary Government of the United Provinces of the Rio de la Plata. I mean, that is that's amazing. I mean, and this happened in 1818. This this didn't even happen in America in 1818. Mm-hmm. And I was also reading that she was inspired by Joan of Arc. You know, mm-hmm. she wanted to be the Joan of Arc of her people, and she actually was. And mm-hmm. Tupac Amaru, Segundo, se, the second, and mm-hmm. he was a revolutionary leader in Peru. Mm-hmm. He yeah. was an Inca. Yeah. yeah, that is awesome. Now, a question about the play itself. So it's written by Florencia Arnoldi? Aroldi. Uh, Aroldi. Aroldi, I've yeah. I've got to read and learn how to read. Um, <laughs> do you do you know anything about the playwright? Um is there a reason? Did you have to? Did you seek this play, or was? I'm I'm curious about the development of the play. 
Uh, yeah, I met Florencia during the pandemic. Okay. Um, she wrote a piece that was featured in, in, in a section we created at La Lengua called mm -hmm. La Lengua Shows You, La Lengua Te Muestra. Yeah. Um, the piece was called, uh, is called Tia Malvina, it's, mm, Aunt Malvina. And then we started talking and I was, I shared with her that at that point I already had this idea of making uh, a play about Juana Zurduy. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew there was, there is one, one play, but it's a one woman show. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking in mm -hmm. a... In a collective female voice, yeah, an ensemble, not just one woman with sure. all the attention on her, yeah, and um, more like a chorus, like the witches of <laughs> of <laughs> Macbeth, something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and she was like, "I love that idea," and I was like, "Would you like to write it?" And she was like, "Yes." <laughs> so she started. So you commissioned her. Yes, La Lengua commissioned Florencia Rolli in Argentina. But what was amazing was this process where that uh, we created the group of the of uh, women like an has incubator mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. with Deborah, uh, with Rosa Navarrete, who is um, a uh, Peruvian artist that uh, lives in LA, with mm -hmm. Elena Esther, who identifies herself as a Quechua woman, indigenous woman. Um, so we started uh, working on with uh, along with Florencia and developing um, this. Uh, it was part of she was writing the the play, and we were sharing things that we were researching in our by our own. Mm -hmm. And um, she, even though she had the story, she shaped the characters inspired in in, in us basically. No, that is awesome. And I'm looking at, you know, when I was looking at the poster of La Zadoui, uh, I'm seeing you, Deborah, and the other actress. Um, her name is... Carla Gallardo. Yeah, and she would have been here, but, you know, she's uh, she texts saying that she couldn't be here. But it does remind me of the, the three witches, although, you know, you guys look heavenly. You look like angels. <laughs> but uh, clearly, um, you know, it is very, very um, inspiring. Mm -hmm. Deborah, how did you get involved with La Lingua? Well, that is like a love story. <laughs> <laughs> love at first sight. Yeah. Love at first sight. Um, I remember, I believe, September 2019, um, La Lengua had, what's the word? They posted a video on Facebook mm -hmm. of coming soon. And I saw the video and then I was like immediately theater in Spanish. What? I got to work there. Yeah. I got to work there. Like making theater in Spanish in America, it's a dream now come true for me. So I chatted La Lengua and I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Peruvian, born in Argentina. I speak Spanish and I'm interested in working with you, whether on stage, behind the scenes, anything. I'm willing to learn anything. Mm -hmm. And then Virginia responded and I invited her to come see me. Um, I was then in a show with uh, Tiro Lunarico, Convoy 31,000, which was about the women that fought in um, the, the revolution against um, the French Revolution against, you know, the Nazis and all of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
I think I'm forgetting the word. I don't know if it the was French resistance movement. The French resistance movement. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And she came to see the show, and then we met for coffee afterwards, and we talked for like three hours, I yeah. think. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we discovered we had so much in common. Yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah. So you are a member. I am. Yeah. 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 I yeah. was invited Back to then, be a part of it. Because of this show, she couldn't be a part of, uh, even attend to our in- inaugural stage reading that mm-hmm. we had at Brava Cabaret. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we invited invited Deborah for our next production. I was planning to be at Brava as well, but because of the pandemic, we decided to jump in <laughs> into Zoom theater. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of companies had to do that. Yeah. But, you know, you simply held on until now. Well, I'm hoping that we're sort of clearing the way, uh, mm-hmm. getting get away from that. No, that that is awesome. And um, how, I guess... As far as the company itself, do you see yourself? Uh, are, are you going to own a actual space? Where? What space are you guys at now? Uh, we are a resident company. After that production, mm-hmm. um, during the pandemic, Brava uh, invited me to be an artist in residence, and by extension, with La Lengua as, as a project. So La Lengua now is a resident company at, at Brava. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. you guys are going to be there for a while. Yeah, actually, this is our very first time working in at brava in person we have mm. been working through zoom yeah no i have a friend of mine uh, melvin badiola who is uh, one of the artistic uh, i know he's i know he's involved in the um administrative part of brava so i'm sure he had a hand in on selecting who gets brought into oh wow. no that's awesome thank you <laughs> and, and, I was, and i was also uh mentioning that we don't see a lot of uh latino theater here which is odd because there's a there's a large Latino community here in the Bay Area, so I don't understand. And it's something that I've talked to Richard Talavera and also um, oh, yeah. um, oh shucks, uh, Linda Amayo Hassan, who has done a bunch of Latino. She's written a lot of Latino theater uh, plays, and she teaches at um, Chabot College. Um, but basically she has to go to other theater companies which may not be which may not care about that sort of stuff it's like oh, okay yeah we'll do a we'll do a latino thing here okay that's done now let's move on to other things but to have an actual there used to be a teatro de la, de la esperanza which which um disappeared it it was on 16th and mission and it's they no had longer an around. actual space yeah they had an actual wow. space what was that this was i'm going to say maybe 10 years ago, and uh, oh, it yeah. sort of disappeared. Someone else can speak better than that. But mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things. I mean, we were talking about how, th- you know, like uh, the exit theater is moved or whatever. So you can have a space. But nowadays, if you don't have the money and the revenue to continue to pay the landlord, you know, you're going to be gone. Yeah. So there are a lot of black box theater. And it was a wonderful black box theater. We did Before the Dream at Teatro de la Esperanza. Mm. Yeah, especially so- after the pandemic that the spaces where are like trying to not yeah. go yeah bankrupt yeah. now let me ask about la azadui mm-hmm. sure it's a play about you know this great woman from the 19th century but i'm sure there are parallels between that and what's happening now is that true i believe so yeah 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 especially that's why for many reasons this is not so the audience is not going to go to the theater and see us being Juana Azurduy. This is... It's not necessarily a history lesson. I mean, it is, but... 
it, not completely. Exactly. It's not the biopic, biopic, mm -hmm. but also it's not an impersonation of Juana Surdui. Yeah. It's about, it could be, it, it has like different layers of, of meaning. One of them is that these are parts of her personality or parts of her life trying to remember everything before dying, especially mm. the women that fight with her, fought with her. She created a, a battalion of indigenous woman, women mm. called Amazonas, Amazons, yeah, yeah. and they were not trained. She trained, she learned how to fight and she taught them. Yeah. Uh, so this play is about visibilizing the work of women and yeah. using Juana Zurduy as an example, as an, as an excuse, but at the same time m telling her story because it's not known even in our own countries in Latin America. Yeah. No, the empowerment of women. And there's another story about uh, Ms. Azurduy. She went after she gave birth to her fourth child in a matter of hours, she went, she was in battle. Yep. Which is just, that just, it's mind blowing. Virginia is looking at me because I, I get to play that part. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Yep. Do you actually get to, oh. I get to push out the baby and be like, here, I'm going to fight. <laughs> wow. No, yeah, that, that is really, really inspiring. And like I said, the empowerment of women cuts across cultural lines. You know, we really need to see more stories like that. Yeah. I wanted to add something to that if I can. Sure. Um, so what the audience is going to see is her final hour. And in that final hour, her fight for all of these to be remembered. Mm -hmm. And so there is a lot of that. There is a lot of like, we don't know. We can't testify for sure because, you know, there is nothing from her that says this was my fear. But, but it is known that in, in an unknown way or in an unofficial way that her fear was that she and the other women who fought we're going to be forgotten. Yeah. You know, so it, she's going through that and she's going through other things as one. We don't know because we're still alive, but I can only imagine one goes through on your final hour. If you sure. know when you're going to die. Sure, right? sure, sure. Yeah. And it's a great vehicle. I mean, you know, she's she's looking back at her life and the audience can sort of see her life, you know, as she reflects. And um, so, no, that is that is fantastic. Where do you see your company after this, um, are there other projects that you want to work on? Or um... Yeah, actually, we have so, so many like uh, ideas to mm -hmm. put together, but we are like baby steps, sure. especially just now we are starting getting funding. That's awesome. And at the same time, that is not enough Yeah. Uh, because the, the budget we used to... For, first of all, we always... We always have paid every person involved in our projects and productions, mm -hmm. uh, not living living wages, but mm -hmm. that's our our final goal. Um, we always give something in, in as a, as a symbol of gratitude at least, because we we are artists and creatives ourselves, and we know that. Even though we love what we do, mm -hmm. it's a it's a job, and sure. this company is is growing because all the all those artists that created and and were willing to give their time and talent uh, and uh, to for an amount of money that was not living wage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have a website? Is there is there a place where people can donate? 
to yes. La Lengua? Yeah, we have, uh, you can go to lalengua.org okay. and you have like a um, tab up there to the right that says donations. Um, that uh, will lead you to uh, a website on Brava that will say La Lengua Teatro en Español and you can donate there. Awesome. And we'll have a link there so people can donate. I was going to ask, is it just three of you? I mean, are there other people who are part of La Lengua? Or four. Four, four, right? Okay. Yes. And, and we're four. Uh, uh, yeah. Actually, when, when I started telling how the, the, the story of the learning was started, um, I had the whole, like, idea and everything, and I started talking with people, but the first one who said yes was Paul Flores. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started inviting people and then we met Roberto Barea, mm-hmm. who, uh, um, was the director of our, mostly all our productions, except mm-hmm. this one. Yeah. <laughs> and all the, all our productions were directed by Roberto Barea and also, uh, who was, uh, at, at the beginning was also Vanessa Ramos. And and then we invited Deborah after after um, mm-hmm. the Death and the Maiden, our first production in, on Zoom. Yeah. And we worked with Deborah once, and we were like, we have to invite her. Yeah. <laughs> she is I, awesome. I, I still I still remember you doing the lead role in Olivia's Kitchen. You know, it, it's you know you're amazing talent. Thank you. I yeah. That. Very talented, but also an amazing uh, person. Uh, to to uh, to work to 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 work in um, all, to do all the work that nobody see sure. in a theater company you need people that you can that keep their word yep. if they say i'm going to have this newsletter ready for tonight yes and they do yeah. so say, we have to invite this person to be because we can work we can trust we can mm-hmm. we can share tasks and we know they are going to take care of that yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's one of those things that you take uh, that people don't understand you know mm-hmm. when you build it's not just being on stage but it's also all of the aspects of it and I didn't know that I didn't know you were doing all of that so that's awesome <laughs> I enjoy it very much you know like, like I said when I emailed when I chatted La Lengua on Facebook like behind the scenes on stage I'm willing to learn and help however I can because especially I believe so much in La Lengua and I, I'm rooting and I, I would draw blood if it's needed <laughs> for La Lengua to keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine. A lot of folks, they get involved in theater for all the different, all different reasons. And people are looking for a community. People are looking for, hey, who can speak? Because all of us have gone on stage representing other people. You know, you've done, you know, like you were on Fran- in France or you were doing Shakespeare. And it's like, when can I get the time to talk about my culture and who I'm about? Like, you know, it's the reason why I got into writing and other things. Some of these posters are, you know, things that, that, that care about me. And so it's, I think it's important. It's important for people to find a community if you are a theater person. And that's why you form a company and you bond with people who can really understand who you are. So that's wonderful. That's a good thing. Yeah, especially, and what you're saying, Reg, is so important because what we were talking before about why there's no uh, Latinx stories. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, I'm so happy when Latinx Latinx artists have the chance to be um, working for big theater companies, mm-hmm. but doesn't it, is we are not changing 
the the story the history if we are telling the same story but just using a diverse cast sure so oh let, let me get a latina and <laughs> cats there, right. we're, we're diversified now right. exactly <laughs> i mean maybe it's good money so uh, and and having diversity in 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 on a stage is what we are working sure. towards right yeah but when we talk about telling the stories and they are thinking oh our our um how do you say the members that paying the membership and for the theaters yeah are, are they going to be interested in juana zordui yeah yeah, pro- yeah prob- the sponsors and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah probably not because uh because they're they don't know that they can have access to that right and if we have the people that own that story in a way than are like the first source or are more like <laughs> close to the story because yeah. that's another thing when you have a Latinx play and being taken by a white theater company mm-hmm. how many filters you oh, oh the tokenism okay let's have this Latinx play right and they surround you with maybe it's good people yeah white people but Good intentions are not enough. It's like we all are biased. I I couldn't like, mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah do things that are not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know about. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and we can't. We have to avoid being used. Let's be. Let's let's put, let's, let's be quite honest about it. Let's say okay. it's a black man. You know, if someone's like, hey, we need to diversify, and I need to you know put on my let my newsletter as a company. Well, we're diversified. We had Reg Clay on. So, okay, the black thing is checked off. Okay, so let us let me get an Asian person. And it's like, okay, are, am I really doing something for my culture or whatever? Or am I seeing my story being told? And sometimes you have to, I call it the proverbial greens. My mother would say, you know, you, you've had your chocolate cake. Now here's the greens. Here's what you need to mm-hmm. absorb. And sometimes the community needs their greens. It's like, hey, listen, I did your play. Now you're going to see my play and my story and my culture. This is something not, that you're not used to, but it's something you need to see if you're going to have me on mm-hmm. or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's important. I mean, it's necessary. Even as a black man, I would see La Azadoui because I could see my grandmother. I could see Harriet Tubman who fought in the Civil War mm-hmm. and La Azadoui. So we can't get trapped in our own culture or the things that we're used to seeing. We can step out because... When we think of America, especially here in the Bay Area, we are diversified. We are that tapestry of multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. So why not see someone else's culture? Or if you're Latino, see your culture in a way you've never seen it before. Exactly. There is something that uh, I want to remind Virginia that she has a really good point when she talks about the opera in super titles. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Virginia. <laughs> you say it. <laughs> no, that when sometimes... Uh, people ask us, especially when we apply to grants, that we have to explain uh, basically our existence. Why why, why are you doing theater in Spanish? That's crazy. Uh, yeah, but it's like, because it's been, uh, that's, it's a thought in, like, inside a, um, a structure of capitalism and, and, and culture is not about that. So this is not yeah. commercial theater. Yeah, what they're really saying is, why should we give you money for something that a lot of people aren't going to see exactly. because it's not part of you know we need you need to Disneyify it you know 
it's like, you know, every time Disney does like, uh, let's say we're going to do an ethnic thing. Okay, well, that's diversity or whatever, uh, you know, because it's been Disneyified. But you're absolutely right. You don't need to just because it's not going to make a ton of money. It's not all about bringing in the money. It's the culturalism of it all. I mean, we can't be McDonald's. Right. McDonald's of theater. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, the whole thing is why in Spanish when, exactly. right? So yeah. we have super titles. And Virginia makes a good point. You go to the opera, mm-hmm. you have super titles. Subtitles. subtitles? Yes. Yeah. 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 And they are in German, Italian, French. And no one questions that they dress up. They pay hundreds. Exactly. And, and they drink champagne and everything. And mm-hmm. why is that? Why, why nobody has to explain themselves that they are going to use super tense yeah. and they are yeah. not making opera in English. And the thing is, if you did it in English, that would be a form of assimilation. That would be a form of, yes, okay, I will obey and make it more English or more, you know, I'll, 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 jump, I'll jump that extra hoop to make it palatable to you. Instead of asking the audience, hey, listen, this is going to challenge you, but that's okay. Come and learn, you know. We'll have subtitles. But you're going to learn this, and no one challenges this when we see it in independent in independent movies, and and things like that. And you're right, the opera. Yeah. So uh, super titles. Good are, for you guys. Are are bridges mm-hmm. uh, in a way that um, it give give us access to pieces that, for instance, I know there is a Filipino theater company, mm-hmm. and. I, I don't understand Filipino, but I will love. I've seen pieces in in things in in, in plays mm-hmm. in, in languages I don't understand. Yeah, and it's a theatrical experience. But having the super titles also is is good too. Yeah. In a way that I want to hear the real like the the the, the, the we'll say the original voice telling that story with their their gestuality and how the, the the inflection of their voices how how they really tell their story yeah and that's why we keep the spanish because i auditioned my first monologue was a Lorca one mm-hmm. and the translation was so terrible they missed whole <laughs> paragraphs and yeah. the, the character was saying things that were not in the original one yeah so what we are missing in translation is important too. Mm-hmm. So when you go to see some story told in in Spanish, you are going to feel the 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 the, the whole weight of the piece how it was written. Mm-hmm. And you can and, and I was give the same example. I felt the same the first time I read Shakespeare yeah. because I knew Shakespeare in Spanish and I didn't know there were rhymes and there was uh, a metric. Ah, uh, interesting. And then I. Uh, I could appreciate Shakespeare even more. Yeah. You mentioned Lorca. A good friend of mine, actually, I saw him two days ago. He's 86 years old. And one of the best plays I've seen him do was a play I believe Lorca wrote called Don Perlimplin, which is a Commedia dell'arte thing about a uh, man. He's being cuckled by his wife and he pretends to be someone else in the shadow. And he's going to I, I think he sort of sacrifices himself for his wife, who now appreciates. Oh, that's right. Because the wife... As he pretends to be somebody else, the wife falls in love with this stranger who is really her husband. <laughs> and then when the husband, then the stranger kills himself and is revealed to be the husband, she's like, oh, my God, I really did love him. But it was a wonderful Lorca play. So you reminded me of that. One last question for you, because we're hitting the one hour mark. Where do you see yourself in the future? Do you want to continue? I'm sure you want uh, La Lengua. To last for a very long time, but do you have aspirations to go to, I don't know, New York or maybe do film or things like that? 
Um, no, we are, uh, we are, I mean, as a company, mm -hmm. we are in one of the most expensive cities in the world, but uh, we would love to, to contribute to the Bay Area uh, theater community to be, to put Spanish speaking theater. And also we have, and next after Las Azurdui, we have our first festival called Historias de Descolonización. Um, decolonization stories mm. that we are creating spaces to talk about decolonization in the arts and decentralization of English in the arts, uh, especially theater. Um, so that will be interesting, and that is opening different opportunities. We don't know where we are going to be in five years, mm. but uh, we will like to contribute to the idea of diversity, of working with di artists from all over the Americas. It's if possible, mm -hmm. and um, and yes, and 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 keeping uh, and strengthening the the Latinx theater community here. Yeah. What about having our own Latinx theater festival in the Bay Area? Why Miami, <laughs> Chicago, all, all over the place? Sure. Oh, <laughs> US are, uh, we don't have one. Please, mm -hmm. Latinx theater companies, let's get together. <laughs> And and do something. It's mm -hmm. going to take years, probably, mm -hmm. but um, the invitation is on the table. Let's do something. Now that is awesome. So you're not even thinking about yourself, about you being a star. You you're really thinking about the community and the Latin, <clears throat> Latino theater community. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's very very good. Um, okay. So there are there are a couple of birthdays. Actually, you just had a birthday. Yep. <laughs> yeah. On the twentieth. <laughs> That was uh, two day. days ago. Opening night, yeah. <laughs> so happy, happy, you know, birthday to you. How was opening night? Let me ask about that. Did you did you have a good audience? We did. Awesome. We were actually sold out all three nights. Excellent. Tickets are flying. So get your tickets. Yes. Don't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll have a link so that people can uh, check it out. No, that's awesome and a great way to uh, to have your birthday. That's wonderful. Um, so there's you. Uh, let's see. A good friend of mine, Mimi Totten. Her birthday uh, was yesterday. Oh, I'm looking birthday. at a picture of her and me. And that was a show that we did uh, a while back. I wrote a little mini musical called Nia. So that was our us backstage. Happy birthday, Mimi. Um, Pamela Hansen, I believe she is a... Um, a uh, a vocal coach that ah. used to be a vocal coach for me and a bunch of others when we did the Douglas Morrison Theater. So happy birthday to you, Tina Marzell. She was uh, she's actually Latina herself. She um, was in um, oh Candide. We did Candide together. Aaron Henney, a fantastic playwright. He wrote Mesmeric Revelation, which I'm looking at right there, the poster that was done at Central Works ten years ago. Uh, let's see. Oh, Pamela Hicks, that, that's the uh, the vocal coach. But in any case, yes, her birthday is August 28th. So those are the birthdays. And we have there are a couple of shows. Of course, we're going to push uh, La Azadoui, which is going on right now. Also, yeah, so La Azadoui is, um, it opened the 19th. It closes the 28th. Mm -hmm. So please check that out. And we have a link for that. Um, the Golden Red Thread has a new Threads reading series. A good friend of mine, Bridget Dutta Portman, has a piece in that series called Pilgrim. So check that out. It opens, uh, it closes August the 30th. It opened August the 9th. So check that out. The reason Norman G is not here because he is on stage with the San Francisco Mime Troupe with Back to the Way Things Were. That will end September the 5th. So check that out. I'm in a play. It's only a play. 
written by Terrence McNally. Uh, that's at the Altarina Theater. That ends September the 11th, so check that out. Uh, Lear uh, by Cal Shakes. That is happening uh, at open September the 7th. Will open September the 7th. It closes October the 2nd. Dominique Williams uh, will be co-directing the show. Michael Asbury, who's been on the A, he's in that show. So check that out. Sense and Sensibilities, the Silicon Valley Shakespeare Company. They're doing that. They opened on August the 5th. They closed September the 4th. A good friend of mine, Cynthia Branch Lagazinski, is in that show. Check that out. Speaking of Theater Brava, Songs for Larry, a workshop of a new musical. That is a Philippine um, Itilong, uh, I believe that is the individual's name. And that's something that um, Alan Manalo, the person who was on the last episode, he was talking about this. So you should check that out. That is a workshop, and that will be happening October the 2nd. Malvin Badiola is producing that show, so check that out. San Jose Stage has uh, the play that goes wrong. That opens September 21st, ends October the 16th. A, good, a couple of friends of mine, John Tracy, is directing the show. Michael Barrett Austin and Cassidy Jamal Brown is in the play, so check that out. Gypsy is playing at the Hillbarn Theater September the 8th through the 25th. Melissa Mambuis is in that play. She was also a mem- uh, was on the A. Man of God, Shotgun Players, is doing that. That opens September the 3rd. It ends October the 2nd. Um, and it has a lot of um, Philippine um, ex-Bindle Stiffers. Chuck Laxon and Lauren Garcia uh, will be in that show, as well as Sharon Shao. She's in that. Uh, Hyung Ji Kim, it will be uh, the assistant stage manager. We had Hyung Ji Kim talk about the life as a stage manager, so uh, we were glad to have her on the show. Camelot, the Contra Costa Civic Theater is doing Camelot September the 9th through October the 9th. Jamie Strube, a good friend of mine, is in that show. And uh, last but not least, Follies. Um, oh, also, I should bring up um, Compare to What? Um, the uh, Maskers is uh, is... In the midst of doing that, that hasn't opened as of yet, but I'll give you more information on that as well. And Norman G is uh, directing that, and Jake Fong is in it. Um, also, Follies, San Francisco Playhouse, uh, that opened June the 30th. It ends September the 10th. A good friend of mine, Echo Yamamoto, is in that, so check that out. Uh, a good friend of mine, Barry Graves, has a podcast called The Black Man's Heart, so please check that out. Uh, our consulting producer, Mallory Samara, her day job is KCBS Radio, and she has a weekly news podcast, Connect the Dots, so please check that out. And finally, Bindlestiff Studios has the Fobcast, so check that out, exploring Filipino-American immigrant stories. <sighs> hey, that's why you call your, your podcast the Yay! The Yay, exactly. <laughs> we tried to promote everything, and I'm so glad that we got to talk to you about uh, La... Um, Lengua. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, la, uh, yeah, La Lengua and also uh, the play and, and also to learn more about you. So did you enjoy yourself? Yes, I'm amazing. I am amazed at uh, all the work you have behind the mic. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for having this space. I mean, I think you are, I think it's the, on, the only one, like, a media Thing for us theater community here in the Bay Area. Yeah, there may be some others, but I don't know. I mean, if we're in competition, you know, that, <laughs> that's fine. But <laughs> we do the best we can, me and Norman, and uh, we're very, very happy. I tell you, the joy of doing the yay is having people on and having your mind just widened. You know, it's like, hey, you know, I'm in my little gated community. All of a sudden, someone comes on and tells me about a wonderful story of a woman who died in 1863, but is so inspiring. 
um, just the amazing stories of uh, um, of Juana Lazu. La oh shucks, I forgot her name. Yeah, I know. Uh, Azadwe. Azadwe. Yeah, yeah. It, and 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 like leaving this question, why why we know more about Juan and Jan of Arc than yeah. Juan Azurduy? Exactly. And they did mostly like basically the same the in different same times thing. and everything, but. John and John the Ark was in France. Well, sure, sure, exactly. But, so, that, but that's why you have you have you have the theater, you know. Uh -huh. And a lot of people think of theater as well. Let me just be entertained, but it's also education mm -hmm. and it's learning. And I'm sure if she were alive right now, Juana Azadwi, she would be saying, you know, gracias, thank you, because you know this. She still lives. She dies, but she still lives. And in, in, in you and in many, many women. So that, that is awesome. Before I forget, yay jerseys. We, we sold out of our black ones, but we still have the white yay jerseys. It's $30. I have one on my desk right here behind me. So uh, check it out, $30, and uh, you'll be supporting the yay. Uh, if you are, we are on all podcast apps. We're on Spotify. We're on the uh, that purple podcast app if you have an iPhone or an iPad. We're on the SoundCloud app. Uh, we're on Overcast, so you know, just check us out. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. Uh, our Twitter feed is the A3. I'm at Red Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. Um, Virginia, do you have a um, a social media that people can directly connect connect with you? Yes, I have um, um, my artistic profile on Instagram uh, is Virginia M Blanco, okay. and yes, and my website virginiamblanco.com. Okay, and we'll we'll have a link to that as well. Thank you. Awesome. Well, that is it. I will let you go because the sun is setting this wonderful Monday <laughs> afternoon <laughs> evening. Thanks so much, and as Norman and I always say, we gotta find a better sign off, and we are out.